Chapter Twelve, Part Two of Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Father Ziley of Detroit. Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume One by John Fox, edited by William Byron Forbush. Chapter Twelve. THE LIFE AND STORY OF THE TRUE SERVANT AND MARTYR OF GOD, WILLIAM TYNDALL, PART Two. After this, Tyndall corrected the same New Testament again, and caused them to be newly imprinted, so that they came thick and threefold over into England. When the bishop perceived that, he sent for Packington, and said to him, How cometh this, that there are so many New Testaments abroad? You promised me that you would buy them all. And answered Packington, Surely I bought all that were to be had, but I perceive they have printed more since. I see it will never be better so long as they have letters and stamps. Wherefore you were best to buy the stamps too, and so you shall be sure. At which answer the bishop smiled, and so the matter ended. In a short space after, it fortuned that George Constantine was apprehended by Sir Thomas More, who was then Chancellor of England, as suspected of certain heresies. Master More asked of him, saying, Constantine, I would have thee be plain with me in one thing that I will ask, and I promise thee I will show thee favour in all other things whereof thou art accused. There is beyond the sea Tyndall, Joy, and a great many of you, I know they cannot live without help. There are some that succour them with money, and thou, being one of them, hadst thy part thereof, and therefore knowest whence it came. I pray thee, tell me, who be they that help them thus? My lord, quoth Constantine, I will tell you truly, it is the bishop of London that hath holpen us, for he hath bestowed among us a great deal of money upon New Testaments to burn them, and that hath been, and yet is, our only succour and comfort. Now, by my troth, quoth Moore, I think even the same, for so much I told the bishop before he went about it. After that, Master Tyndall took in hand to translate the Old Testament, finishing the five books of Moses, with sundry most learned and godly prologues, most worthy to be read and read again by all good Christians. These books being sent over into England, it cannot be spoken what a door of light they opened to the eyes of the whole English nation, which before were shut up in darkness. At his first departing out of the realm, he took his journey into Germany, where he had conference with Luther and other learned men. After he had continued there a certain season, he came down into the Netherlands, and had his most abiding in the town of Antwerp. The godly books of Tyndall, and especially the New Testament of his translation, after that they began to come into men's hands, and to spread abroad, wrought great and singular profit to the godly, but the ungodly, envying and disdaining that the people should be anything wiser than they, and fearing lest by the shining beams of truth their works of darkness should be discerned, began to stir with no small ado. At what time Tyndall had translated Deuteronomy, minding to print the same at Hamburg, he sailed thitherward. Upon the coast of Holland he suffered shipwreck, by which he lost all his books, writings, and copies, his money and his time, 
and so was compelled to begin all again. He came in another ship to Hamburg, where, at his appointment, Master Coverdale tarried for him, and helped him in the translating of the whole five books of Moses, from Easter until December, in the house of a worshipful widow, Mistress Margaret Van Emerson, Anno Domini, 1529, a great sweating sickness being at the same time in the town. So, having dispatched his business at Hamburg, he returned to Antwerp. When God's will was that the New Testament in the common tongue should come abroad, Tyndall, the translator thereof, added to the latter end a certain epistle, wherein he desired them that were learned to amend, if aught were found amiss. Wherefore, if there had been any such default deserving correction, it had been the part of courtesy and gentleness, for men of knowledge and judgment to have showed their learning therein, and to have redressed what was to be amended. But the clergy, not willing to have that book prosper, cried out upon it that there were a thousand heresies in it, and that it was not to be corrected, but utterly to be suppressed. Some said it was not possible to translate the scriptures into English, some that it was not lawful for the lay people to have it in their mother tongue, some that it would make them all heretics, and to the intent to induce the temporal rulers unto their purpose, they said it would make the people to rebel against the king. All this Tyndale himself, in his prologue, before the first book of Moses, declareth, showing further what great pains were taken in examining that translation, and comparing it with their own imaginations, that with less labor, he supposeth, they might have translated a great part of the Bible, showing, moreover, that they scanned and examined every title and point in such sort, and so narrowly, that there was not one eye therein, but if it lacked a prick over his head, they did note it, and numbered it unto the ignorant people for a heresy. So great were then the froward devices of the English clergy, who should have been the guides of light unto the people, to drive the people from knowledge of the scripture, which neither they would translate themselves, nor yet abide it to be translated of others, to the intent, as Tyndale saith, that the world being kept still in darkness, they might sit in the consciences of the people, through vain superstition and false doctrine, to satisfy their ambition and insatiable covetousness, and to exalt their own honor above king and emperor. The bishops and prelates never rested before they had brought the king to their consent, by reason whereof a proclamation in all haste was devised and sent forth under public authority that the testament of Tyndall's translation was inhibited, which was about Anno Domini, 1537. And not content herewith, they proceeded further how to entangle him in their nets, and to bereave him of his life, which how they brought to pass, now it remaineth to be declared. In the registers of London it appeareth manifest how that the bishops and Sir Thomas More, having before them such as had been at Antwerp, most studiously would search and examine all things belonging to Tyndale, where and with whom he hosted, whereabouts stood the house, what was his stature, in what apparel he went, what resort he had, all which things, when they had diligently learned, then began they to work their feats. William Tyndall, being in the town of Antwerp, had been lodged about one whole year, in the house of Thomas Points, 
an Englishman who kept a house of English merchants. Came thither one out of England whose name was Henry Phillips, his father being customer of Poole, a comely fellow, like as he had been a gentleman having a servant with him. But wherefore he came, or for what purpose he was sent thither, no man could tell. Master Tyndall, diverse times, was desired forth to dinner and support amongst merchants. By means whereof this Henry Phillips became acquainted with him, so that within short space Master Tyndall had a great confidence in him, and brought him to his lodging, to the house of Thomas Points, and had him also once or twice with him to dinner and supper, and further entered such friendship with him, that through his procurement he lay in the same house of the St. Points, to whom he showed moreover his books and other secrets of his study. So little did Tyndale then mistrust this traitor. But Points, having no great confidence in the fellow, asked Master Tyndale how he came acquainted with this Phillips. Master Tyndale answered that he was an honest man, handsomely learned, and very conformable. Points, perceiving that he bare such favor to him, said no more, thinking that he was brought acquainted with him by some friend of his. The said Phillips, being in the town three or four days, upon a time desired Points to walk with him forth of the town, to show him the commodities thereof, and in walking together without the town had communication of diverse things, and some of the king's affairs, by which talk Points as yet suspected nothing. But after, when the time was past, Points perceived this to be the mind of Phillips, to feel whether the said Points might, for lucre of money, help him to his purpose. For he perceived before that Phillips was moneyed, and would that Points should think no less. For he had desired Points before to help him to diverse things, and such things as he named he required might be of the best, for, said he, I have money enough. Phillips went from Antwerp to the court of Brussels, which is from thence twenty-four English miles, whence he brought with him to Antwerp the procurator-general, who is the emperor's attorney, with certain other officers. Within three or four days points went forth to the town of Baroy, being eighteen English miles from Antwerp, where he had business to do for the space of a month or six weeks, and in the time of his absence Henry Phillips came again to Antwerp, to the house of points, and coming in, spake with his wife, asking whether Master Tyndall were within. Then went he forth again, and set the officers whom he had brought with him from Brussels in the street, and about the door. About noon he came again, and went to Master Tyndall, and desired him to lend him forty shillings. For, said he, I lost my purse this morning coming over at the passage between this and Mechlin. So Master Tyndall took him forty shillings, which was easy to be had of him, if he had it, for in the wily subtleties of this world he was simple and inexpert. Then said Phillips, Master Tyndall, you shall be my guest here this day. No, said Master Tyndall, I go forth this day to dinner, and you shall go with me, and be my guest, where you shall be welcome. So when it was dinner-time, Master Tyndall went forth with Phillips, and at the going forth of Point's house was a long narrow entry, so that two could not go in front. Master Tyndall would have put Phillips before him, 
But Phillips would in no wise but put Master Tyndall before, for that he pretended to show great humanity. So Master Tyndall, being a man of great stature, went before, and Phillips, a tall, comely person, followed behind him, who had set officers on either side of the door upon two seats, who might see who came in the entry. Phillips pointed with his finger over Master Tyndall's head down to him, that the officers might see that it was he whom they should take. The officers afterwards told points, when they had laid him in prison, that they pitied to see his simplicity. They brought him to the emperor's attorney, where he dined. Then came the procurator-general to the house of points, and sent away all that was there of Master Tyndall's, as well as his books as other things, and from thence Tyndall was had to the castle of Vilvord, eighteen English miles from Antwerp. Master Tyndall, remaining in prison, was proffered an advocate and procurator, the which he refused, saying that he would make answer for himself. He had so preached to them who had him in charge, and such as was there conversant with him in the castle, that they reported of him that if he were not a good Christian man, they knew not whom they might take to be one. At last, after much reasoning, when no reason would serve, although he deserved no death, he was condemned by virtue of the emperor's decree, made in the assembly at Augsburg. Brought forth to the place of execution, he was tied to the stake, strangled by the hangman, and afterwards consumed with fire in the town of Vilvord, Anno Domini, 1536, crying at the stake with a fervent zeal and a loud voice, Lord, open the king of england's eyes such was the power of his doctrine and the sincerity of his life that during the time of his imprisonment which endured a year and a half he converted it is said his keeper the keeper's daughter and others of his household as touching his translation of the new testament because his enemies did so much carp at it pretending it to be full of heresies he wrote to john frith as followeth I call God to record against the day we shall appear before our Lord Jesus, that I never altered one syllable of God's word against my conscience, nor would do this day if all that is in earth, whether it be honor, pleasure, or riches, might be given me. End of chapter 12 Recording by Father Ziley of Detroit Vigil of Pentecost 2009